Well, good morning, everybody. Please feel free to continue your conversations as you enjoy the barbecue after the service. Well, in ancient times, kings and rulers would build statues of themselves, and they would uh, have them up so that all could see who was in charge, who was in control, who everyone needed to look to and respect and adore because they were the ultimate leader. Some of them were huge statues and, and made out of gold and, and beautiful metals. Some were quite small and they would make multiple uh, images of themselves and have them everywhere so that no matter who looked upon them, they would be reminded of who it was that was in control, whether it was made out of wood or stone or metals, it was everywhere, prominent for people to see. So people could know that person is in control, is in charge, is the ultimate head of this whole nation. Now, as I was listening to a, a podcast a couple of months ago on 10-minute uh, Bible talks, the co-host at the time, Patrick Miller, reminded me that this idea of having an image out there to remind us of who is in charge wasn't new to the kings and rulers. In fact, when God created the world, when he created Adam and Eve, he created them as image bearers, to be in his image, so that anyone who saw another person would be looking upon an image of God and be reminded that God was in control, that God was all-powerful, that God was the one that we should look to for love and respect. And he didn't rule like the kings and rulers in ancient times with a heavy-handed fist, but he ruled with justice and mercy and love. In fact, Patrick Miller says, humans are not made of stone, we're not made of metal or wood, we are living and breathing images of the king. And wherever we go, we are living, breathing symbols that God is in charge there. We're currently in a series called Walking with God. And last week, Tim really focused on prayer and our personal uh, discipline and, and our personal communication with God and God with us through prayer that helps us to walk with him. Today, I'm going to look at how we live our lives. Being an image bearer for God helps us to walk with him and walk in the life that he would have us lead. We're going to look at uh, actually an Old Testament passage today in Micah chapter 6. Now, to give you a bit of a context, to set the scene that Micah is speaking into here, uh, Micah is a prophet in the Old Testament, and he is coming to, to speak, as all the prophets did, to help the people know how to walk with God in the best way possible. 
And it was usually because the people had stopped walking with God. And that was certainly the case here in Micah chapter 6. You see, God had created Adam and Eve in his own image, but unfortunately they had failed in being great image bearers for God. And yet God was merciful and still loved humans and allowed them through the descendants of Abraham to grow into a great nation. And he was with that nation. He redeemed that nation out of slavery, out of Egypt, into the desert they were. He provided for them every single day their daily needs. And out of the desert into the promised land. And he had justice and mercy in all his dealings with the people. And he gave them the promised land and he set them apart as ultimate image bearers to all nations to know that if you followed the one true God, this is what your life could be. This is how God interacted with those that he loved with justice and mercy. And yet, the nation continued to fail. They continued to forget about God. They continued to bring the, the worship and the religious acts of all the other nations into what they did. And so God sent prophets to the people to guide them, to help them to know that God was still there. He was a God who loved them he was a God of justice and mercy, and he was calling them to be image bearers of him. And so we read in Micah 6, a chapter where God is sending the prophet Micah again to the people to guide them. And Micah actually sets it up like a courtroom. He gives them this example through like a courtroom scene, God versus the people. And in just these short eight verses that we're going to read, we hear he sets the scene, he gives God voice, he gives the people voice, and then Micah helps all people, back then as well as us today, a reminder of how we can walk with God. So I'm going to read from Micah chapter 6. Listen to what the Lord says. Stand up. Plead my case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear you mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth, for the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. And this is what God says. My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. My people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, plotted? And what Balaam, son of Boah, answered? Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal? These are all ways that God had shown justice and mercy to the nation of Israel. That you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. And this is the response of the people. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? 
Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? There were definitely sacrifices that God encouraged the people to make, but these sacrifices of calves and rams and oil and even firstborn children, these were the kind of sacrifices that all the nations around them offered to their gods to appease them and to please them. So the people are saying to God, do we have to act like them in order to please you? And the final verse in this passage that we're reading today, Micah says, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Here is the people asking God what he requires of them. Is it more sacrifices? Is it more that they need to give of their resources, of their families, of everything that the rest of the nations have to give to their God? They're saying, do we have to do that for you as well? And yet the prophet Micah is reminding the people that a God of justice and mercy is requiring of his nation, his image bearers, to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with him. Craig Barnes, who uh, is, was the president of the Princeton Theological Seminary, preached an incredible sermon that I heard on this. And I'll mention his, a couple of his quotes throughout my own sermon. He says, notice that Micah's concern is not that we've broken God's law, but that we have broken God's heart because we have failed to remember. And this is so true for myself and I believe for us today as well. Unfortunately, this forgetfulness of who God is and what he calls us to be was not forgotten in Israel, but it is just as prevalent amongst us today that so often in our lives, in our busyness, in everything that we do and try to accomplish, that so often we forget God. We forget to walk with him. We forget to act like him. We forget that we are called to be his image bearers here on earth. And we forget that ultimately, no matter what is happening in our world, that we can rely on him to be in control and to be faithful and to be loving and to be just. And you know, God, never calls us to do what he hasn't already done. God doesn't set us a greater standard than what he has actually already shown us. Throughout all of the Old Testament, we read time and time and time and time and time and time again, God showing justice 
God loving with incredible mercy and God being faithful in walking beside his people. And for us, we have the benefit of living after Jesus lived on this earth. We see the ultimate example through Jesus Christ of someone who acted justly, who loved mercy, and who walked humbly with God. In Philippians chapter two, it says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to become obedient to death, even death on a cross. So let's look at these requirements that are set out for us by Micah. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God, remembering that Jesus has given us the ultimate example of how we are to live and to love in this way. So the first one, to act justly. In some versions, this is a very well-known uh, verse. You may have heard it before. I believe our local Christian school even has it as their key verse. It used to be on their diaries. I grew up in a, uh, attending a, uh, a girls' club that was run by a church, and at the start of every time we met, we were always asked, girls, what does the Lord require of you? And we would recite to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. It's a well-known verse from many people. And to be honest, to act justly is something that is even spoken about often outside of church. The idea of social justice, of living for justice, is something that is powerful in our conversations and as we look around our world. We see there is so much need for justice because there is so much injustice that happens in our world. And God did call the people to just believe in justice, just to understand it and believe that it's the right thing to do. No, in this verse, it calls us to act justly. That is with fairness and equality, treating others how we would like to be treated. Now, we've currently got a, a new series of The Voice, the TV show, on our screens at the moment. And uh, if you haven't heard of this voice, um, then what this is, is a singing competition. And what happens is someone stands on the stage and they perform a song, they sing a song. But the difference about this competition to a lot of other competitions is the judges actually sit on their chairs with their backs to the performers. So they can't see them, they can't make any judgments on how they look, how they present, how they dance, anything that they can see. All the judges can judge for is what they can hear. 
is the actual singing voice of the person. And after, as the performance goes along, if the judge likes what they hear and thinks that they have talent, they'll push their button and their chair will swing around and they get the chance to be one of the coaches, a potential coach for the performer as they enter into the competition. I remember when this first came on our screens. It's in Australia, it's in countries all around the world. It was revolutionary. How can we judge someone just on their singing performance? They're called blind auditions, and it was unheard of, particularly in the entertainment industry, that someone would be judged on that alone. Because how quickly and how easily do we judge people by how they look, not just what they say, by how they present, by what they wear, by the color of their skin, by the place they were born, by how much money they have in their bank accounts. All of these ways that we judge other people. And it is not a way of acting justly. Truly, to act with justice is not to look at the outward appearance, but it's to treat someone how you would like to be treated. It's to put yourself in their shoes, right? That is justice. To put yourself in someone else's shoes and treat them how you would like to be treated, with fairness, with equality. And there are huge injustices in our world which require us to do something, to speak out, to donate money, whatever it might be. There are so many different ways and so many different injustices that we are being called to act upon. But you know what? There's injustice in our own lives as well. Not just in the big things, but in the small things. How people are spoken to in the workplace, in your schools. How people are dealt with in our neighborhoods, in our friends. And if we are wanting to be the image bearers that God has called us to be, he calls us to speak up, to shut down the jokes that are offensive, that are hurting other people, to not see people based on their outward appearance, but to act justly. Jesus was incredible at treating people with equality and justice. It was Jesus who made the outcast Samaritan the hero. It was Jesus who made the greedy tax collector generous. It was Jesus who made the unloved prostitute the most loved. Jesus saw people for who they were and he offered them justice and equality, and loved them just as God is calling us to love. 
He requires us in being image bearers for him to act justly and to love mercy. In some translations, this is loving, loving kindness. It's mercy, it's forgiveness, it's graciousness. It's actually the word, and Tim and I have both preached on this in, in other sermons, hesed. This word of, that means mercy and loving kindness. It's not a mercy and loving kindness that we can offer. It actually is the word used for the mercy that God offers to us. An incredible offering of mercy and kindness. And when we bring this mercy and kindness side by side with justice, See, justice treats people equally. It gives someone what they truly deserve. Mercy goes the next step and gives people what they don't deserve. Barnes mentions we need hesed, this loving kindness, to doing justice. It means we don't just give people what they deserve. It means that we give them our hearts. When we look upon someone in such a way that we don't just give them what they deserve, but we give them what ultimately we realize we have received from God ourselves. And as his image bearers, we hand that on, that mercy, that kindness, that graciousness, that forgiveness. That is when we become image bearers of our great and incredible God. And can I just say, we are certainly not perfect, but Christians have been at the forefront of this kind of mercy for years and years. So often when you look at charities or hospitals or schools, finding out where they first originated, it's through Christians who have put something in place in order for someone to have a better life. In doing some research, I found that the Christian Alliance for Orphans did uh, a, a survey a few years ago in the States. And they discovered that practicing Christians are more than twice as likely to adopt as the general population. They were more likely to adopt older children children with special needs, and other children considered hard to place. They were also nearly three times more likely to have seriously considered foster care. In fact, 65% of non-kin foster parents, foster parents who aren't biologically related to the child, attend religious services weekly, compared to 39% of the normal population. This love and kindness and mercy that is offered, Christians so often do because they've understood what God has done for us. And they want to do it to the least of these. Adoption and foster care are not the only ways that we can show this loving kindness. Just one example of how we can show mercy and grace, forgiveness, this loving kindness to everyone 
that comes across our paths. Because when we do, that is when we are being image bearers for our incredible God. Jesus, as we were reminded in Philippians 2, was the ultimate example of this mercy, right? That the king of heaven, the prince of heaven, was willing to come and be mortal like you and I, willing to take on what justly should have been our our punishment, but in his loving kindness for all. He took the punishment upon himself. He went to the cross, suffered a horrendous death in order for you and I to have a close, open relationship with our Heavenly Father. But do you know what happens when we do justice and when we love kindness? Do you know what happens when we open ourselves up to acting justly and loving mercy in our lives? What happens is that it opens our eyes to even more injustice in our world. It opens our eyes to how more mercy is required in our lives. Have you ever noticed that? When you've, when you've engaged, whether it's with an organization or whether it's with in injustice in your own world, the more you open your eyes, you more you see how much our world is filled with injustice, how much our world is filled with pain and grief and hurt done at the hands of another. And it's when we engage with justice and mercy and we see all the other injustices that are done in our world. That's truly when we realize that we need to walk humbly with our God. Because when we engage with actions of justice, when we engage with loving mercy, we realize that to make a difference is so far out of our hands, that we don't have the power, that we don't have the strength, that we don't have the love, that we don't have the justice or the mercy that it takes to truly transform our lives and our world. And that's when we realize we need to come humbly before a God who acts justly and always has, who loves mercy and always has. And we sung about it in our songs this morning, that the battle belongs to our God, that he is the one that has the power. It's not our power to transform lives, but it's his power. And when we walk humbly, we invite him into those places of injustice, those places where we require, are required to love with mercy. Those places where we feel so out of our depths and we invite a God who is greater and more powerful and has more love and more mercy and more forgiveness than we could ever hold. 
Barnes says, if you do justice and love kindness, you'll be thrust into walking humbly with God. You see, this is not just a list of three requirements. This is a pathway into deeper and deeper spirituality. God wants us to remember that we need God in order to be human beings. If we want to walk humbly with our God, if we want to be the ultimate image bearers that act justly and love mercy in our world to change it for the better, then we need to invite God into those places and into those spaces that we step into, knowing that it's not within our power, but it's within the power of our powerful, mighty God. In the Alpha series, Nikki Gumble shares a story about Corrie Ten Boon, and we're going to watch it now. One of my, One of my great heroes is Corrie Ten Boom. She's a Dutch Christian who hid Jews during the war. She was caught, and Corrie and her sister and her father went to Ravensbrück concentration camp. Her father and her sister, Betsy, died there. She's an amazing woman, and after the war, she went and spoke to others about forgiveness. She was speaking in a church in Germany one time, and at the end of her talk, she recognized the man coming up to her, and she could see it was one of the most cruel guards from Ravensbrück. She pictured him as he was then, and as he came up to her, he said, I was a guard at Ravensbrück. He didn't recognize her, but she knew, she recognized him. She could see him, and she remembered walking naked past him. She said she felt so cold and so angry. He said, I've become a Christian now. I know I did some very cruel things, but I've received God's forgiveness for the cruelties I've done. And I asked God's grace for an opportunity to ask one of my very victims for forgiveness. Fraulein Ten Boom, once you were forgiven, Will you forgive me? And I could not. I remembered the suffering of my dying sister through him. But I was not able, I could not, I could only hate him. And then I said, thank you, Jesus, that you have brought into my heart God's love through the Holy Spirit who has given to me. And thank you, Father, that your love is stronger than my hatred and unforgiveness. That same moment, I was free. And I could say, brother, give me your hand. And I shook hands with him. And it was as if I felt God's love stream through my arms. You never touch so the ocean of God's love as that you forgive your enemies. Can you forgive? No. I can't either. But he can. What an incredible example of someone who was willing to act justly and to love mercy and who welcomed God into that space, knowing that she could not, but that he can. 
Will you stand with me as we close in prayer? And I encourage you as we finish in prayer, if there is a space of injustice that breaks your heart, if there is something of mercy that you require to give, and it feels too big for you to be able to even act in, take a small step towards. Let's come before our Father, our powerful, mighty, heavenly Father, and ask him to step into our space. Lord God, we thank you that throughout time, time and time again, you have acted justly and you have loved mercy for our sake. We have received that through your generosity and your love for us. God, you call us to be your image bearers in this world. And God, sometimes it is so hard to speak up for justice to act it out in our lives, to love mercy, when so often we come face to face with people that we struggle with or who have hurt us or hurt others. God, just as you loved, may we love. And God, when we don't have the power, when we don't have the strength, when we don't have the love or the mercy, God, we ask you to come into that space. We humbly acknowledge that we do not have the power to change lives, only you do. We invite you into our lives. May we walk humbly with you, God, so that whenever we come and face injustice, Whenever we come to a place where we need to give mercy and love and kindness that we don't have, God, may we rely on you, the source of all love, the source of mercy and grace. May we draw on who you are so that we can be your image bearers in our world today. We pray this in your generous name. Amen.